Griffin, this last week, we have had to deal with one of the dumber sports stories in recent memory, as Tom Brady refused to let Adam Schefter break the news about his retirement, which as of the, the day we're recording this is now official. Forget the fact that Schefter confirmed the story with multiple sources. Forget the fact that every major news outlet felt that it was credible enough to report it themselves. Forget the fact that the literal NFL Twitter account was tweeting about Brady's retirement. It doesn't count until old Touchdown Tommy says it counts. And for their part, the legions of Twitter experts rolled out to attack Schefter for what they perceived as irresponsible journalism. And maybe this sounds petty coming from people who are working in the sports journalism universe, but I feel like it's less of a sports thing and more of a social media thing. I mean, the relationship between journalism and public relations is already blurred enough as it is, I feel like we don't need to be attacking real journalists for daring to break a story before the subject is ready for them to break it. And it's not even like Brady dropped some epic moving retirement video or an amazing Players Tribune piece about how, uh, reflecting back on his whole career, he posted a, excuse my language, fucking notes app screenshot, and he said that he wanted to thank the entire Tampa St. Petersburg area? The first person to ever say this? Was this worth a respected member of the NFL community being harassed for days? Uh, Brady needs to do better, the fans need to do better, we all need to do better. And with that in mind, here's our best episode yet of High Floor, Low Ceiling. Chris, I know that we typically don't comment on the rant, but I do have to say... <laughs> you, you love to say that we don't comment on the and rant. And then immediately comment, comment on, on the rant. rant. I loved your rant. Th yeah. I very much laughed at the first person ever to uh, thank the Tampa St. Petersburg area. I did have to say, he didn't mention Boston it's or true. the New England Patriots in his rant, which I, I found a little weird. Were his I two years in well. Tampa Bay that incredible that he forgot that he played for the New England Patriots? Is that what happened? I think that was absolutely some intentional shade. And I mean, again, like the, this is the PR thing where he was, he wanted his narrative. He wanted to sort of ignore the Patriots, ignore the success that they uh, assisted him with. But then, I don't know if you saw this, this is quite recent, but uh, the Patriots tweeted out a, a thank you. I believe it was a statement from Robert Kraft, famous good guy. Uh, and he, he retweeted and said thank you to uh, the Patriots and to Patriots Nation. So, uh, well, well, there now that Patriots Nation has been satiated. PR crisis averted. <laughs> what uh, was he going to do? Welcome, welcome, everyone, to another fantastic episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling. Chris here, joined by Griffin. And Griffin, this is a High Floor, Low Ceiling first that we that I've decided is now going to be a tradition. We, it's, a, it's a birthday week. <laughs> yes, it is your birthday this week, Chris. I, it hasn't happened yet, but I certainly hope that when it does, you have a very happy birthday. I know that we've got a whole day of social media content ready for your uh, birthday. Yes. So yes, keep your doing doing hourly drops uh keep your feet open um i just want to give you the opportunity now because you know it is birthday talk time you love to poke fun at the fact that you are part of uh generation Z, as we call it here in canada mm -hmm. uh and i am barely older than you quite firmly frankly. a millennial <laughs> and i'm on the cusp thank you very much uh, not to give a peek behind the curtain, but I was born in 1995. Wow. Jeez, uh, I, I don't even remember 1995. I... No, I know. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, I, I am aging up slowly but surely, marching towards that sweet embrace of the grave. Oh my but... God. 
<laughs> You're a big birthday person, eh? <laughs> but this is a happy time. It's time to celebrate. And it being my birthday week means that, Griffin, you offered to let me pick the segments, which I think was your way of getting out of having I, to... I did realize that after I suggested that. I thought, oh, you know what? It's Chris's birthday week. We're going to let Chris pick all the segments. This is a great gesture. And then after I did it, I was like, oh, I just got Chris to do all the work for this week's podcast. Yeah, I'm used to it, though. Oh, yeah, um, true. I'm just the pretty Griffin, face. Let me navigate to our Twitter page right now, because I think one of the most important pieces of business that we have mm. to uh, check in on here is the high floor, low ceiling pole. And I, I did <laughs> n- notice, Chris, that uh, this, this was not in the original doc. This was the one thing I had to add. Uh-huh. I'm not sure if you're hoping to avoid it. And I'm sorry to do this to you on your birthday week, but it looks like by a whopping 15% margin. I believe it that... I believe that constitutes a one vote margin. A fifteen percent margin. I am eighty. I'm gonna say eighty-eight percent sure <laughs> that you looked at the poll because it was tied all week, and I'm eighty-eight percent sure you looked at the poll. You saw it was tied. You told your girlfriend, who not to uh, again peek behind the curtain, but have a girlfriend, and I believe that you told her to go on the Twitter and I vote did. for you, and that is what created what broke the tie and gave you the win. So if that's really what you want, then uh, congratulations to you, I suppose. A These are victory for baseless Griffin. accusations, but not even like jokingly baseless accusations. These are actually baseless <laughs> accusations. I did nothing of the sort. Uh, there is still one hour left in the poll. Yeah, um, I think but we might I... see some drastic shifts. Oh, you do, do you? I can make burner <laughs> accounts too. But um, <laughs> no, I, I do think we are locking this in as the official result now that it I, is going to air. A I agree with that. 15% <laughs> margin of victory. Again, poor math. More like 14 but yes, you you take home the win, Griffin. Uh, Phil Taylor. Oh, we also, that's another important thing we need to talk about is Phil Taylor because... Oh, yes. I almost ranted. Um, but yes, let's... Yes, Phil Taylor led Team Griffin to victory uh, with yes. great help from Patrick Beverly and his tenacity as well as Bo Jackson's skating ability. So a big thank you to everyone who voted, who played along. Uh, that poll took place, of course, on at HFLC podcast at Twitter. So if you missed out on this poll, make sure to follow us there so that you don't miss the next one. And also follow us on Instagram and TikTok on uh, at that same name, HFLC Podcast. But yes, thank you so much for reminding me, Chris, because I have a bone to pick. It came to our attention from a loyal listener. Do you want to shout out this loyal listener, Chris? Yes, good friend of the show, yeah, Yara El Shaburi. She will hopefully show up a fantastic sports journalist in her own right, covers soccer over over in the uk in it yeah i actually think we were hoping to have her on fairly soon when the premier league starts we haven't talked to yara about this so she's probably going to be listening to this episode and uh surprised <laughs> yes, by the, that not only not only a, a good friend to us but someone who listens to the show and had positive things to say about it which might be in another hflc first yeah well one she did send us a message on twitter yes to inform us that the iconic Phil Taylor, who we have been referring to all along as a 14-time world champion, is actually a 16-time world champion. Now, this is on me. I brought Phil Taylor, and I feel an unbelievable level of shame that I, of all the career statistics, to mess up. However, I do have a bone to pick with Calvin McAlee 
and lineups.com who published the article which listed Phil Taylor as a 14-time world champion and as retired. So this wasn't even a thing of like he added a couple more after the article was written. So I'm going to start our first ever high floor, low ceiling beef. Uh, beef I'm, on the table. I'm starting an online rivalry with Calvin McAlee. If you're out there, Calvin, writing about darts is, is a nothing. Responsibility it's a responsibility and a, and a privilege. Yes. And to write about Phil Taylor, that is writing about darts. Phil Taylor is darts. So to have such essential information to me, someone who's still coming to darts, a new darts fan, you awesome. have led me astray. You have made me look a fool on my own podcast and you are not taking the sacred responsibility of ushering phil taylor's legacy into a new generation of darts fans Mm -hmm. properly so calvin mcaulay reach out to us at hflc podcast (laughs) if you think you can possibly defend yourself um, and give us a follow first yeah please do and yeah and Uh, then come on the show let's talk let's talk phil Uh, yeah that was that was truly shocking i will say and i was humiliated for uh for bringing that to our attention. I think Griffin really, and again, you tried to blame me for this, which is classic Griffin behavior. Uh, But of course, as a member of your team, you did the research. This was your responsibility. Uh, I feel that you should be penalized one vote (laughs) in the poll. That seems drastic. If anything, the fact that Phil Taylor is a (laughs) 16-time world champion and still has an unprecedented 79 PDC majors, that number is correct, by the way. Unprecedented 79 PDC majors. If anything, that makes my team better. He's not just a 14-time World Dirt Champion. He's a 16-time World Dirt Champion. So I think I, think I should favorite... gain a vote. That's very interesting. Uh, I think my favorite thing about Phil Taylor is how his number of PDC majors is totally devoid of precedent. What do you think? Oh, I, I mean, it's tough because you've got the 16 World Championships that I knew about all along. Which but is, of course, precedented. Yeah, that's precedented. We've seen plenty of 16-time World Champions in sports before. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, that is 79 PDC majors. I don't. I can't think of anything that would ever set a precedent for a statistic like that. Of course not. Um, but let's get into the show now that yeah. we've, we've issued our retraction. Taking care of all the important business. Uh, let's jump in to what we've been opening the show with the last few weeks. We're back to football. Uh, another crazy slate of games. I'll, I'll start here, actually. Is this the greatest nfl playoffs maybe we won't say of all time because we haven't seen them all but of our lifetime of our of your memory griffin is this the greatest single slate of nfl playoff games that we've ever witnessed it's certainly the best one that i can remember i mean and it's funny because in the first week we were talking about how none of the games were really that close and like we had a couple decent ones but there were some big blowouts and now we have had like literally six straight classics which is insane nothing but bangers i believe literally every single game i guess because the chiefs won by a touchdown in overtime but every single game has been decided by one possession uh like either by three points i I think pretty much every other game other than the overtime game with the chiefs was a three-point game which is about as close as you can get in football yeah uh but this weekend we had the afc and nfc championship games Uh, i want to start with the nfc because bring back the ring ring the old jinx bell because uh (laughs) it's not a thing the, high floor the HFLC jinx. alleged jinx, which does not exist, of course, has reared its ugly head, and somewhere, somehow, Kyle Brickman is at at the bar right now, drinking away his sorrows and mourning the 49ers losing twenty to seventeen against the Los Angeles Rams. 
Yeah, we said we would bring him back if the 49ers did well. They did not. So I guess we got to wait at least a year to have Kyle back on the podcast. We're not going to have him on to talk basketball ever. It's oh, only right. 49ers. Um, we can, people can listen to the wrap-up live on Raptors Republic if they want to get uh, Kyle's basketball takes. We'll yeah. plug there. Yeah, we don't need that here. But um, <laughs> but no, uh, my heart goes out to Kyle. Always tough to see your team go down. But a good game, as you said, Chris. A really a really good game. Uh, and honestly, I think I think that Kyle, even if his maybe his prediction and his feeling that the 49ers would once again take care of business against Sean McVay, uh, even though that was not accurate, I think his analysis was perfectly accurate because the big thing he talked about was San Francisco's offense predicated on that outside zone run. And if you look at the numbers, the Rams totally shut down the San Francisco run game. The 49ers had 50 rushing yards as a team. Elijah Mitchell had 11 carries for 20 yards. And I think he had something like a nine yard rush on one of uh, in the fourth quarter. So in, in essence, he was averaging like one yard a carry for most of the game. Like Debo Samuel did a little bit, but yeah, their, their run game was just totally shut down. And then Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, getting a lot of hate uh, for his performance, or uh, taking a lot of the blame, certainly, uh, for the loss here. What did you think about his performance, Griffin? Well, yeah, I mean, clearly Sean McVay was listening to High Floor, Low Ceiling last mm-hmm. week because he heard Kyle say that the Ram, or that the 49ers are going to win with their running game. And the Rams said, okay, let's sell out on taking the run and force uh, Garoppolo and his wide receivers to beat our elite secondary, and they couldn't do it. So, yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo... Uh, not the best quarterback, I think, would be a way to pay it. Certainly of the four quarterbacks that remained in the playoffs, you had three of the best in the league, and then Jimmy G. So I think uh, that's the end of his 49ers career. I'm sure he'll get a chance somewhere, but maybe... Like, maybe on a team that isn't just needs a guy to take snaps. Like, I don't think any team that's going to be competing for the playoffs is going to want Jimmy G to be their quarterback. But if you just need a guy to lead you to a 5-12 and record in a solidly high draft pick, there's a job for Jimmy G. (laughs) 5-12 record. Yeah, I mean, like, well, let's let's, let's put it this way. Would you rather have... Uh, just, you know, for a team, let's say, that's trying to, predicting to be around 500, will be knocking on the door to the playoffs, trying to get a playoff berth. Would you rather have Jimmy Garoppolo or Teddy Bridgewater on your team? Uh, probably Teddy Bridgewater. I like Teddy Bridgewater. I think he's good. But I do think they're similar quarterbacks. Like, that's around the level you're looking at here. Yeah, like, good enough to maybe get you into some games, probably not good enough to win you some big games. And I think that is, that's what we saw uh, in that game against the Rams. I thought he had, I thought he was acceptable is the way that, uh, the way that I put it. But I think we've seen in these playoffs, especially with every game being so close, you need a quarterback who can at least put together a decent drive in the fourth quarter. Um, and you know that I like to uh, to give this little these lists of plays <laughs> that sort of oh, define yeah. the game. Uh, so I have one for you today. So we're, we're at 12 minutes remaining in the fourth quarter. The 49ers have the ball. It's second and one. They've just uh, crossed over into Rams territory. And here is... Every, you know, so I'll exclude punts and everything like that. But from that point on, your offensive plays were a minus one yard run, a zero yard fullback run, an incomplete pass, a delay of game penalty, an incomplete pass, an incomplete pass, an incomplete pass, a minus three yard pass, and then an interception to pretty much put the game on ice. That is what I would describe as suboptimal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here that's not a, not the ideal offensive production. But yeah, I think when we talk about Jimmy G, we're not talking about a guy who's going to go out there and blow a ton of games and really look terrible. Like he's just, he's a game manager. He sort of reminds me of Alex Smith in some ways. 
but he's not going to go out and make the plays that win you the games when it really counts. Like in that game, when the Rams were driving, Matthew Stafford made this incredible throw to Cooper Cup. He like lasered it in through two defenders and then Cup had a nice catch and run. And I was watching with my dad and I was like, wow, Cooper Cup's incredible. And he's like, yeah, yeah, he's fine. But that throw by Stafford <laughs> was crazy. Like, and it really was. So that's the type of play that you usually get out of Patrick Mahomes or Matthew Stafford or Joe Burrow that Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to get you. So it's Trey Lance time in San Francisco. I think they'll be better off for it. I think Trey Lance is going to be a great quarterback. And uh, Jimmy G, good luck on the Steelers, maybe? Saints? A lot of uh, Broncos? I- Jimmy Seahawks real, if they uh, lose Russ. <laughs> Jimmy G could make a lot of rebuild or reload teams. Happy. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, and again, like like I was saying, like you, I think it sort of reinforces the idea that you need a quarterback. Well, and again, like maybe being a game manager is enough. I mean, it got the San Francisco 49ers pretty far both this year and in 2019. But especially, you know, this is a, not a, a new observation by any stretch of the imagination, but... If you're down late in the game, your the your run game becomes irrelevant because you can't run the ball, like just because you're working against the clock and and things like that. So does it make sense, maybe? Let's let's go to this direction. Does it make sense for a, a team that wants to be a Super Bowl team? And again, we don't want to go too far with it because it they did they were three points away essentially from going to the Super Bowl. They had the lead in the fourth quarter. But does it make sense for a team to predicate their offense on a run game when if you're in a close playoff game, then it'll basically become irrelevant? Yeah, that is the question that a couple teams are facing. We've seen it with the Baltimore Ravens for a few years, the an elite rushing attack that once you get behind, can you throw your way out of it? And in this NFL day and age, like it's a tough question. It's such a passing league now. So I think that with the 49ers, they're sort of set up with Trey Lance. They'll get a guy with a much better arm in there next year. But yeah, it, you definitely, I think what we saw this weekend is that you can have a great defense, you can have a player like Debo Samuel, but you need great quarterback play. This is not a, a big re- revelation that yeah. I'm coming through with some great insight, but it once again reaffirmed that you cannot get as far as you want to go in the NFL without great quarterback play. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really excited to see what they can get out of Trey Lance next year, because he does seem like uh, such a great fit for them, because... You have that outside zone run concept. And then, you know, we even saw it in this game, even though, as Kyle put it, Jimmy Garoppolo has a bit of a noodle arm. Uh, we saw, like, <laughs> like if you look at the uh, the average yards per reception for all of the, the receivers in this game, they were getting good yardage. Like, Debo Samuel, he only had four catches, but he had 72 yards. And, like, go down the list, and everyone's averaging well over... 10 sometimes 15 yards per reception so if you're able to unlock that that vertical if you're able to stretch the field vertically and then you have the outside zone run to to stretch the defense horizontally as well i think that's what makes you a huge threat uh and then so you know and trey lance he can make plays on his feet as well hopefully he will uh he will come through because i'm really excited because i think they they do have all the pieces they need to put together a potential championship team. Uh, but let's talk about the Rams here as the team that won the game. Yeah. Uh, the Rams did just about everything you could think of to give the game away. Uh, I don't know if you saw those Sean McVay challenges, but two really, really awful challenges. Two of the worst challenges that I'd ever, I've ever seen, I would say. Uh, the first one was on offense uh, to respot the ball, trying to get a first down, which they weren't even close to. They actually, I think, came back a little on the respot. And then the other one trying to pull San Francisco back after they had failed to convert on a third down. 
trying to pull them back in order to dissuade them from the uh, the fourth down did not work that time either ended up being a fourth and two and san francisco ended up taking a delay of game and then punting so (laughs) (laughs) not only was it a poor decision it was a poor decision that would not have mattered anyways um and then you know they ended up with i think they had zero timeouts with (laughs) with 10 minutes left in the game which could have really been deadly for them if they hadn't uh, put together those drives that they did um but then the, the the big one i think that people are talking about a lot is the uh jaquiski tart dropping maybe maybe the easiest interception i've ever seen in my life yeah uh, did you see this griffin yeah i think wherever kyle is in that uh bar right now he's cursing the name of jaquiski tart over and over um because that was rough and we did see jalen ramsey drop a another easy interception on the next drive going the other way so maybe it all balances out in the end but yeah what a momentum shifter that would have been for the 49ers to get that ball back like you said the 49 or the rams sorry unable to stop the clock but didn't work out didn't work out for them jacuski tart you think i don't know poor guy i feel bad i feel bad for i i I truly do feel bad he he posted on twitter basically saying because like he said that you know those are the moments that you dream about that as a kid you imagine yourself making like an interception to go to the super bowl and when you think about it that way i think it really just becomes crushing that like yeah oh man you always think about the kids who get to live out the moments that they dreamed about not the ones who drop them oh that's sad that made me sad it is sad uh but matt stafford speaking of you know he threw that ball um uh, a bit of an up and down game for him because i you know we saw it from patrick mahomes as well not to uh, preface our our other game but just some surprising throws some surprising accuracy on deep throws uh he was obviously very much bailed out by that drop uh griffin Obviously, he's had, I, I think, a, a very solid uh, playoff run this year. Uh, you know, I don't think he's been super spectacular, but he did have, he had another good game uh, this weekend. 31 for 45, 337 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. You know, a, a solid, a solid game. What you would want from a, a star quarterback. Uh, how do you feel about Matt Stafford? Were you always a believer? Were you a, he can't win on the Lions? Or how, how do you, how do you see him? And how did you see him before this run? I mean, as soon as Matt Stafford got traded, I was ready for the Rams to make a Super Bowl run. I think that he has been an elite quarterback trapped in a hapless franchise for many years. Like, Matt Stafford is so talented. And he's had, like you said, some up and down moments in this playoff run, his first ever sort of deep playoff run. So I think that's to be expected. But just when you put him in Sean McVay's scheme with the talent that he has available at wide receiver and on defense, like... This has been everything I hope to see from Matt Stafford and the Rams this year. And yeah, like I said, I thought they would make the Super Bowl from the preseason. And here they are. Yeah, it, it is sad to think about because, like, you know, I Stafford, you could maybe put in kind of like a Philip Rivers camp. Mm. Uh, but even the Chargers were more successful than the Lions, which is what makes me sad is that not, not even that we missed out on, you know, Super Bowl runs because I, you know, it, I don't think it's fair to say that Matt Stafford is a no doubt Super Bowl quarterback, oh. you know. He's in a very good situation in LA, and they've made the most of him for sure. Uh, but where was I going with this? Um, but I think him being on the Lions, it, it took away a lot of moments, like playoff moments. Whether that was a choke or whether that was a great drive, obviously, you know, there's some f- famous, uh, fantastic Stafford drives. I always think of the uh, the I forget what the game was or who it was against even, but th- there's a very famous mic'd up with Stafford where he on on with the clock winding down, <laughs> he's running down the field going clock it clock it with his voice cracking do you know what i'm talking about yeah (laughs) 
and then and then it ends with him he you know he does the fake spike and then just jumps into the end zone that's a great uh staffer moment and so i feel like i feel like we missed out on moments like that in the playoffs even if he wasn't winning super bowls necessarily i think we just missed out on on getting to see one of the maybe would you call him a great quarterback of the last decade i do I, think he's a great quarterback of the last decade and yeah just like like you said missing out on moments where he would have been in the national spotlight more than he was stuck in Detroit. And Detroit is obviously a historic franchise, so there's a little bit of uh, coverage there, but they were hapless for many years. Yes, so. historically hapless, I would Historically, say. yeah. Um, so yeah, big... I'm glad to see Matthew Stafford getting the attention he deserves. And speaking of getting the attention he deserves, you want to talk about a Coop Cup? Cup or Coop? Yeah, just, just, I mean, quickly, because, I mean, what can you even say about him at this point? But he's just an absolute... He was a beast again today, uh, you know, after catching that huge pass to to ice the game last week. But I mean, like his, I think the biggest thing, because like he always feels huge to me, <laughs> like, like, I feel like in my mind, him and Travis Kelsey are like the same size, even though they're probably like seven inches apart. But like he, he, he's just built, like his shoulders are so broad and he's just so big that he feels like a tight end sometimes. But then his route running is insane. Like, I think. The, the best play of the day. You know, you talk about great Matt Stafford passes. He had an awesome pass, uh, a touchdown pass that was like over over a defender, but short of a defender that was in the end zone. And then Cup just hit a double move like right at the end zone line that completely froze the safety and just like created tons of room. And yeah, I mean, what, what can you say about him? He's great. He's, he's probably maybe the MVP of the playoffs so far. Oh, I would think so. Yeah, other than maybe the uh, guy in the other game that we mm. want to talk about well, today. Let's, let's press on to the other game then, because, you know, we're moving from an HFLC jinx to an HFLC bump. Uh, yes. You might not remember this, Griffin. Oh, I do. But, I've uh, been thinking about it every time I see the result, Chris. You referred to the Bengals as a team of destiny. I did indeed. I think you and were onto something. I think it's t- it's turned out to be truer than even I anticipated, uh, because I think we when we talked about the uh, this game, I don't think we gave them a ton of credit. You know, I think we, I think, you know, we said that the Chiefs are always always have a bit of a question mark around them this season. But the Bengals headed to the Super Bowl twenty seven to twenty four. Griffin, you know, you have the the big one is the Eagles in twenty seventeen. But in my mind, you know, that was a top team before Carson Wentz went down. Obviously, the whole Super Bowl run with Nick Foles and everything that was a a huge crazy story and an incredible story. But in terms of just a completely healthy team that we saw, you know, we saw their full form in the regular season. It, we 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 knew who they were. And now they're in the Super Bowl. Is this the most surprising Super Bowl team in recent memory? Yeah, it feels like it. Like, no one saw this coming for the Cincinnati Bengals. I had them losing to the Raiders in the first round. And then I did have them beating the Titans, but then losing to the Chiefs again. Like, the, they have had to play uphill the entire way with a quarterback who only had like six games of nfl experience for this year their best wide receiver is a rookie their offensive line is unheralded to put it politely (laughs) Um, and their defense doesn't really have any huge stars on it so yeah the Bengals just like you said chris it does have a bit of a, a greater than the sum of their parts team of destiny these guys are fun let's go out there and have fun and hopefully win kind of vibe to them yeah, they do have a let's have fun out there vibe. And I mean, you know, I, I assume when you said the that the MVP of the playoffs might be Joe Burrow, but I think that uh, Evan McPherson, the kicker, mm. <laughs> has a case as well. I Look mean, at the rookie go. Goals. Look at the rookie go, exactly. 
uh, you know, four field goals, that's a, a pretty significant amount of scoring in a game that where they scored 27 points. Um, but yeah, I mean, this team, the weird thing about them, uh, they never have, to me at least, watching them throughout the playoffs, they have never felt like they were, like, it, it's never felt like we are seeing them kick it into another gear. Does that make sense? Like, it, it, it feels like we have just they're just still the same Bengals team which is like not a bad team but not a Super Bowl team I wouldn't say I think that's reasonable to say but then they just keep winning games and they had a huge comeback in this game and it, it really didn't feel like it until it was real and it was over yeah I do know what you mean the Bengals they like they play the first game of every playoff weekend like they're just sort of out there and yeah they it did even in this one it felt like the Chiefs started playing terribly as much as the Bengals started playing well so they haven't really yeah it's like you watch them and you're like this isn't a surprise that they're playing like this because they played like this all year it's just a surprise that they're winning while playing like this yeah and you know people after the fact people pointed back to a lot of things they pointed to burrow's record and playoff games going back to his college career and things like that and and the the Bengals did beat the chiefs twice this year so that was something as well uh joe burrow had that huge game against them but uh but but yeah to your point griffin uh the chiefs offense they really were bottled up in the second half and you know we definitely do have to give the Bengals uh defense some credit there another thing people were talking about a lot after the game was that the Bengals started uh playing you know a lot of like dropping back in the coverage i'm <laughs> i'm slightly talking out of my behind here because I'm not the most uh, versed on football strategy, but certainly, you know, rushing less, playing further back, dropping back. Uh, the number eight was used, which I think has to do with uh, the number of, you know, defensive backs and things of that nature. But yeah, like, so just, just dropping back and covering uh, and dropping into pass coverage, which is what we talked about uh, in the game against the Bills. The That, that Travis Kelsey, you know, he's always going to be open. So instead of rushing four, put a linebacker in, block Kelsey, you know, play that pass coverage, and it was super effective. The Chiefs were absolutely bottled up. Yeah, they took advantage of the, uh, they basically said to the Chiefs running game, hey, come on, run out the game. And the Chiefs either didn't want to or couldn't do it. So we've got our Super Bowl matchup, Chris. We do, and and maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll we'll preview that next week. Maybe yeah, we won't we'll go super that. in depth because uh, because yeah, we've been talking about these teams all playoffs. But uh, he, here's something for you, Griffin, because my my good friend Isaac over at the uh, the Bench Connection Twitter account, shout out to Isaac. He said something that that feels like a hot take, but I I see where he's coming from. He said even watching that game, you know, after everything's happening, obviously the Super Bowl is uh, is being set up now, but he says he still feels like the Chiefs were the best team in the league this year, and even, and despite the loss, he still feels that way, and that, you know, if you replay that whole, that game, and even the Super Bowl, that the Chiefs are winning the majority of the time. Is, is that a fair assessment? I think it's a fair assessment for the second half of the season, but if you look at, like, the way the Chiefs started, the they were looking bad. Yeah, and this whole all the storylines for the first half of the year were what's wrong with the Chiefs or the Chiefs over is it time for a new year and the Bills I mean yeah that was the great thing about the league this year in the playoffs was that there was no clear-cut number one team if I had to pick the team that looked the best this year I'd probably say the Green Bay Packers because the Bills had those struggles as well but the Packers uh, also weren't a clear-cut nobody can touch these guys as we saw when they played the 49ers so yeah I think there's so much parity factor no superstar factor. So I think there was so much parody in the NFL this year. You could say that the Chiefs were the best team in the league, but you could say three or four others as well. Yeah, and none of them would be the Cincinnati Bengals, and probably not many people would uh, would say the LA Rams either, but that is the Super Bowl we're getting. It will be a very interesting matchup, I think. I mean, uh, you know, the, the offensive line questions, I think, 
will certainly be answered uh, in that game. Joe Burrow only sacked one time in this game, fewer than Mahomes, who was sacked four times. Yeah, so that's a, maybe the Bengals' offensive line has figured something out. I'm sure Aaron Donald and Vaughn Miller will be able to show them whether or not they've figured something <laughs> yeah. out when the Super Bowl comes. But that's, like we said, Chris, that's talk for next week. Save it. Save, Save it for it. next week. I'm, I'm bottling it up. Uh, we will bottle it up, and we will be back next week to talk some football. But we will actually be back very shortly, Griffin, to talk some more football of a cinematic nature. Oh, boy. When we return with High Floor. And welcome back to High high Floor, Low Ceiling. That's my, uh, that's my Patrick Mahomes. What did you think about that? That was, I thought it was Fozzie Bear. But, um... <laughs> wow! Travis Kelsey. <laughs> That's Walker, Walker. Walker back Kill. to the offseason. Walk, walk back to high floor, low ceiling. Oh, uh, birthday week special from Wa. And, uh, and yeah, this was something you really wanted for your birthday, <laughs> yes. Chris. Something this you subjected really, me to. This is the real birthday treat for me because, as you know, Griffin. I'm a big film fan, big film buff. Um, happy February, Uary, to all who celebrate. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. That's <laughs> that's what we're going with this month? February, Uary? Well, as you know, Griffin. <laughs> as you know, last month was Steve V. Ken, Zon of Junks to Uary. Uh, a great time, which I, I rounded out that month last night. I already forget what... Oh. With the, with the classic 2021 film, Tom and Jerry, directed by Tim Story, starring, uh, or, you know, Ken Jeong, he gets the and. Do you, how familiar Ooh. are you with film billing, Griffin? The, I, the I put a lot of, the force. I put a lot of, uh, a lot of prestige on the wiss and the end, especially the as. If you could get an oh, yeah. as. Oh, baby. Um, Special feature, things of that nature. Uh, but yes. Who so. wanted a Tom and Jerry movie in 2021? I know that's not really what we're talking about this segment, but, but who was I that for? Should. As someone uh, who just rounded out Steve versus Ken <laughs> Zong of Jongstisuary with that classic. Why? Why? Why was that movie made? This is my second time seeing the film. Is uh, Tom and Jerry still it, popular? No, certainly not. The movie is awful. <laughs> just truly, truly a painful film to endure. Uh, some incredible performances from, you know, Chloe Grace Moretz, Michael Pena, Colin Jost. Oh, uh, noted actor. Fan Griffin. Uh, Colin Doesn't Jost, make me a big delivers... Colin Jost fan. <laughs> Whoa, the head writer himself. He delivers every line as if he is doing Weekend Update. <laughs> it's like, quite crazy. Um, also, I realized sort of after the fact that part of the reason I found him disconcerting is because I wasn't used to seeing him standing up. Very fair. That's like why Seth him. Meyers abandoned the monologue on Late Night. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yes, so we're moving into February, Uary, a great month where we watch the films released in the month of February. Oh my God. <laughs> because, you know, traditionally January, February, it's a, it's a dumping ground for films, Griffin, where, you know, all the movies that, you know, were maybe were supposed to come out at Christmas or something like that, that, that didn't quite make the grade, they get dumped in January uh, or, or in February. And so we're going to celebrate those works this February, and it's going to be February, you And boy, oh boy, did we kick it off with a bang. <laughs> yes, you, you kicked off your uh, Jan... Fe- Feb January by watching a film released in January, January of 2022, no less, with the new hit motion picture, which we'll be talking about today, a new sports movie. We love our sports films. The film Home Team, Griffin. The latest Happy Madison production for Netflix, directed by Charles and Daniel, uh, I believe Kinane is maybe the pronunciation here. 
starring Kevin James as disgraced NFL head coach Sean Payton. Griffin, how, how, what were your feelings coming into this film? What are your feelings coming out of it? Just give, give, give me uh, a, a broad overview here. I do think a problem with me when I watch movies is that I make up my mind whether or not I'm going to like the movie before I've seen it. But I tried to come into this one with an open mind, and boy, oh boy, was my mind closed. Uh, I have a note here, Chris. I think it's a bad sign that at literally the first shot of Kevin James as Sean Payton, I laughed out loud. Just They're, they're showing yes. archival Super Bowl footage, and then it cuts to the Saints' <laughs> yeah. sideline, and Kevin James is just standing there as Sean Payton, and I burst out laughing because it looked so dumb. Uh, uh Yes, that's it's an it's it's a fascinating film. <laughs> Let's get that out of the way right now. I, I think that, you know, there is certainly a stigma surrounding uh the, the work of Adam Sandler and of Happy Madison Productions. Uh you know, have you have you seen Sandy Wexler? Have you seen Hubie Halloween? Have you seen I have pictures? skipped most of his Netflix movies. My first note on this movie is that Adam Sandler can be good in movies that he acts in but isn't involved in making. And this one is the other way around, which really filmed me with optimism. He was involved in making but did not act in. Uh, so you don't even get, even in the bad Adam Sandler movies, he's a charming guy. He's a funny actor. He's good Definitely. enough to pull a full, a few laughs out of you. So uh, this, this did not fill me with high hopes. However, there was a lot of Sandler representation. I hope we'll get into that later. Um, yes, uh, we will. We will talk about every element of this film, Griffin, because I, you said you took extensive notes. Is that I have correct? extensive notes. Uh, do you, I guess? Do you want just my notes are in chronological order of the movie? Should we just? go through yeah, so our lead, movie you lead the way here because i was watching i was watching for the, the pure love of the game uh whereas you were watching as homework uh but but the one thing i will say is that yes i had the same thought where i i just did not believe that kevin james could be an nfl head coach i think that is if there is a a fundamental flaw in this film which i think is a, a very solid picture i referred to it on letterboxd follow me at seahouse and jan as a uh, as a three-star general I think this is a, a very solid film. Like, there are some terrific uh, set pieces, and I think we will strongly disagree on one of them based on your review that I saw of the film. Uh, but, but yes, please, please lead us down this primrose path, Griffin. Yes. Well, I mean, first of all, if you haven't seen the movie, the mov- Kevin James plays Sean Payton, the uh, head coach of the New Orleans Saints, recently retired, during the lowest point of it in his career where he oversaw the Bounty Gate scandal in which the Saints paid their players based on how many of the opposition they could injure. And the movie doesn't really seem to care about this. Like, that's yes. my first major note is that Sean Payton never says, like, I shouldn't have paid my players to injure other players. <laughs> that was a lesson that I learned. And he never really says, like, it's not my fault. So, like, when we first meet Sean Payton, he is paying his players to, like, the one thing you do in sports is that you don't wish injury on other players, let alone deliberately try to... So he's, like, not remorseful at all for that. He's just, like, pissed that he's getting bad oh, coverage re- about oh, it. Okay. Well, we'll talk about this. He's Go. also a terrible father. He doesn't know the name of his, like, secretary at the New Orleans Saints. He keeps... Is it Emma? Is it Emmy? Emily? Emily like, the intern. A great performance um, by Chloe Fine. Yeah. Uh, and then... So, like, are we supposed to like this guy? So... I I think you're being absurd here, quite frankly. <laughs> I, I agree with you. Uh, the, the, the way that this film tackles Bounty Gate is fascinating. Uh, the word Bounty Gate is never being is never said in the film. We never even really hear what exactly he did. 
we just hear that he has been suspended from the game. Um, but uh, but Griffin, one of the most pivotal scenes. Yeah, I think they mention uh, it briefly. Sorry, I think they mention it briefly in the beginning when you've got like the co- the montage yeah, of all the anchors clips. talking about it. Yeah. But yeah, right. they that's really like they don't seem to like Kevin James or Sean Payton was not a victim in Bounty Gate. Like they're just like <laughs> he had to step away for a reason. But that's not what we're really going into here. He was a it was a terrible terrible thing that he did. Well, I mean, I think the I think you're missing out on one of the key scenes here when Sean Payton, played by Kevin James, is in the car with his son Connor, and Connor asks him if he really did what he uh, what he has been alleged to do, and he basically Payton, says yes. Yeah, Kevin James cannot look his son in the eye. Griffin, this is a this is a story fundamentally, I would say, of redemption. Uh, as you say, Griffin, for those who have not seen the film, this is a film about Sean Payton. He is suspended from the NFL. He returns to uh, Argyle, Texas, where his ex-wife and her family lives, including uh, Sean Payton's son, Connor. I don't know, Cooper? I don't remember. Anyways, I think it was Connor. Uh, his son, Connor, lives, and he begins coaching this uh, this you know middle school-aged football team, uh, along with Taylor Lautner as Coach Troy, and uh, uh, Gary Valentine as Mitch Bazone, one yeah. of the fun fact, strangest characters in the film. Fun fact about Gary Valentine, Kevin James's brother. Um, did not know that before this movie, but yes. So my another question I have, a lot of my notes are questions. <laughs> Do you think totally that fair. Kevin James for this movie put like prep in? Do you think he like worked on this role? There's a shot from the Super Bowl where he like pumps his fist on the sideline. Do you think he like watched tape of Sean Payton on sidelines and like studied how he celebrates? Do you think he like listened to him talk? And like studied his dialect. Like for him, was this like Moneyball? Was he just like I'm gonna I'm gonna win an Oscar for this biopic? Like, I is this don't... movie a comedy? Does this movie think that it is a comedy? <laughs> okay, I can't that is tell. Crazy. You are so wrong about this. But the to 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 get back to your original point, I think this is one of his less strong performances in recent memory. Uh, I think he's very strong in Hubie Halloween as Sergeant Steve Downey. Um, you know, of course, his performances as Paul Blart in the Paul Blart Mall Cops films, uh, you know, as teacher Scott Voss and Here Comes the Boom. I think those are all stronger performances uh, than his performances as Sean Payton here. I think if, I, you know, I think if you put Sandler in this position, you know, obviously, I mean, neither of them really look like Sean Payton at all, I guess. But if you put Sandler in this position, I think that this is just an unequivocal home run. I, I Sandler could definitely get more out of this role than... Uh, Kevin James. My next note is a uh, Florida Georgia line exclamation point. They make an appearance in the soundtrack. Uh, that was fun <laughs> sure. for me. And then, uh-uh. oh good, Rob Schneider's in this, mm. and he clearly refused to cut his hair for the role. His character has a weird man bun, which was clearly Rob Schneider. And Sean Payton, spoiler alert, makes a cameo at the end of this movie. Was clearly involved in the making of this movie even though he's not credited as a producer or anything rob schneider plays his ex-wife's new husband in the movie so sean payton just clearly hates his ex-wife's new husband right because this rob schneider character is so annoying and like it's the same thing you've seen rob schneider do a thousand times but yeah that's just my main takeaway is so wrong here you're you're going to come at me pro schneider okay first of all i have it's just his character from grown-ups it's the same guy I have what could be considered a controversial take here. Rob Schneider is hot in this movie. You're wrong. (laughs) There's something. It's a je ne sais quoi. It's an aura. It's something about him 
<laughs> he is hot in this. Uh, of course, playing the character of Jamie, as you say, uh, the new wife of uh, Sean Payton's ex, played by Jackie Sandler, Adam's yeah. wife. I always love her performances. I think she's a great actor. Yeah, she was good. Um, but yes, so he he is sort of the he's the classic the health food nut, uh, mm. which I think I think segues us actually quite naturally, Griffin into uh, perhaps a discussion about what you characterized. And let me just pull up uh, the review here so I have the exact information. You described it as one of the worst scenes ever put to film. Just the, a complete, <sighs> complete failure on your part in my humble The opinion. vomit but, touchdown scene. Yes. yes how, I, how else can it be described? Uh, but yes, for Griffin, take us through this because uh, uh, the, the, the overall storyline of the film is that Sean Payton is here. Uh, his son's football team is absolutely terrible. Uh, they lose by 40 points every game, at which point the scoreboard of the uh, <laughs> on the field is turned off so that the kids don't get too hurt, and they forfeit the game. So basically, they, they've been losing by 40 points every every game uh, under the tutelage of Coach Troy, portrayed by Taylor Lautner. Yeah, uh, what's the point of turning off the scoreboard if the game ends anyway? Like, when I was a kid playing hockey, if it got to a five-goal lead, the scoreboard would stop counting goals, but we would still get to play the rest of the game. Like, turning the scoreboard when the game ends, it's just like, the, the score's not going to change anyway, so what's the point of turning off the scoreboard? Well, I thought Sean they would keep playing the with the scoreboard though. off, but no, the game ends as well. It's true. It does could tend be the to second happen. quarter. <laughs> it does tend to happen towards the end of the game. I feel like it's the way that they portray it. Uh, but but I see your point. Uh, but yeah, so so under Sean Payton's tutelage, he becomes the new offensive coordinator of the team. Uh, and under his tutelage, they start to uh, to put something together. But one infamous occasion is when Rob Schneider's character Jamie makes what what do they call? Are they they're they're, they're not called super logs. <laughs> see this is funny this is a great film uh rob schneider makes his health food super logs uh and and during the course of the game causes virtually every member of of the football team to begin vomiting uncontrollably uh and griffin you which they like then use first of yes. all what the hell did he put in like is it not just like <laughs> granola and chocolate chips did he sneak like rat poison in there i don't understand what he could have possibly put in these super logs to make every single kid who ate them projectile vomit like they need to be rushed to the emergency room but so yes, what? instead of this is the game before the championship. Sean Payton has taken this team. He has transformed it. He has molded all these young men into winners. And instead of winning the game before the championship, there's five seconds left. They're down. They just need a touchdown to win. Instead of running one of their new plays or one of the players over, maybe the guy who's really shy and can't perform under pressure comes in and kicks the game-winning field goal. Or maybe the kid who well, is afraid of contact, the end, maybe the kid who is afraid of physical contact is able to come in and run a guy over to get to the touchdown. But no, instead of any of that, instead of any character work, they're just like, <laughs> what if the kids vomited on everyone who was it's trying to so tackle funny, them Griffin, and so that so no one funny. wanted to tackle them? That would be great for the first game of the season, but this is the semifinals. This is this is supposed to be the climax of the journey, but instead they just kick no, the no, can no. down the road a scene. They're like, we want them to win, but we don't want to get to any of our emotional character moments yet. Oh, yeah. So how, but, so instead of just having them run a play, they cheapen the win. They didn't earn the win. The only the win only comes because oh, Rob Schneider on. poisoned all of these children. <laughs> yeah, but they, no, they were working a disadvantage. They were, what, what this scene illustrates, first of all, 
first of all, this scene's very fun. You can't deny this. I don't I understand how you can this. deny this. They're throwing up everywhere. I, I felt it's, sick it's, watching it. <laughs> it. I did feel also, a little it was sick clearly it, CG throw up. Well, Griffin, <laughs> come on. If you're going to poison you're... some kids, poison some kids. That's all I'm saying. I will say, and not to be too gross here, because we are already talking about a very gross scene, but what I initially thought when I saw the first kid throw up is that uh, Rob Schneider had like put like grubs or like maggots in the bars, because that's what it looked like briefly to me. Yeah. There were uh, chunks of what looked like carrot in the throw up. I don't know why he would have put <laughs> carrot in the power logs, but... Super logs, please. Super um, logs. Yes, this is, this is just a classic funny scene. It goes way too far, which I think is a classic uh, a Sandlerism, which I really enjoy, is that you take a funny concept and then you just push it so far over the top that it it just enters the point of absurdity. Uh, but yes, it, it really made me laugh. And of course, the uh, they have to save the big character moment for the big game, which All I think is also which I think is also against the porcupines, uh, coached by Isaiah Mustafa of Old Spice fame. Uh, but I think that the uh, the climactic moment in the championship game is really effective as well. What did you think about the uh, the the emotional? What I would of course call the emotional climax of the film. I thought it was fine. Like it was weird to me. It seemed like Sean Payton had already learned his lesson about these kids, and then in the championship game, he just uh, he his son confronts him because he confronts Sean Payton on the fact that he's only trying to win for himself to prove to himself. Because another weird thing that happens is that after Sean Payton loses his appeal to his suspension and is forced to sit out the year in the national football team like espn comes to argyle texas <laughs> yeah. to cover his team play the porcupine a lot of media coverage and then which is like sure fine they want to comment from sean payton but then they stick around to cover the game and sean payton's team loses and they say oh maybe the saints will want to move on from sean payton now the guy who just won the super bowl because his team of 12 year olds lost a game and this pisses sean payton off so much that he forgets everything he's already learned about like helping yes. these kids become better guys and he's like i have to win this championship so he does that by running these 12 year olds including his own son into the ground forcing them to play both offense and defense until his son confronts him at halftime and says like you're only here to win for yourself the only reason you're even here like spending time with me at all is because you got suspended and Mm -hmm. sean payton's just like damn and then like the only way he addresses it is by not forcing his son to play every snap of the entire game and by getting the kids in there, he never, like, it is true that the only reason Sean Payton has seen his son in years is because he got suspended. They never really addressed that. But well, of course they do. You're so crazy. Of course, that's what the whole movie's about. His relationship with his son that, and he, he rekindles his relationship with his son, but it's predicated on the same things that it's always been predicated on, that he cares about winning too much. And he cares about winning at the expense of others, and that's why he committed Bounty Gate, and that's why he needs to learn his lesson and and not care so much about winning and just focus on having a good relationship with his son, which is what Coach Troy uh, also, has to hammer into him at halftime. Never apologizes to Coach Troy for hijacking the man's job and defense. He just like starts. He's hired as the offensive coordinator, and then for the championship game, just also plans the defense. And he doesn't yeah, even which... come up with it. Bill Cower comes up with the solution, and he <laughs> yes. does not give Bill Cower credit he steals the credit for himself it's true that, that, is a, that is a funny moment where he he calls bill cower to figure to try and figure out this formation uh you know it's some sort of uh, what is it a, a wing back single back because sean I. payton the nfl winning he- the super bowl winning head coach 
has like cannot figure this out like that you need your linebackers to be fast and bill cower is the only one who can figure it out i know that he's an offensive mastermind and whatever but then he steals all the credit yeah coach troy is like when did you come up with this and he's like oh me myself last night in my hotel (laughs) yeah but yes and of course you have this uh this climactic moment where the kid who the field goal kicker who can is totally in anxiety yes uh, he's good in practice though when his when the girl he has a crush on isn't there right oh yeah oh and there's the part of the the, the extensive use of we are young by fun as yeah a drop. and that's a and terrific moment yeah but, that but yeah, the, so, the scenes so. with the kids were fun i liked the kids in this movie at one point though the kid one of the star players on the team his name is marcos and then uh sean payton calls him marcus which felt he does insensitive yeah. but chris i just can i just go through like a series of questions that i have that yes, came absolutely. to me while watching this movie um number one what what league is this like clearly the team is going for like a bad news bears amateur level thing but teams have like their own dedicated stadiums and the warriors are like an organization to the level of which they have their own merch like the dads in the stands are wearing warrior shirts but they're taking kids who are like so afraid of contact that they don't even like want to tackle like what is the level that this is supposed to be i know this is texas it's not a school team i guess it's just like a pop warner thing but that i didn't figure out um you're absolutely right continue okay uh i just going back to the big championship, I know we're bouncing all over. I did like that the kid missed the kick at the end. I thought it would have been yeah. So crazy. so we'll, we'll just quickly. Sean Payton the, sacrifices his championship. Yes, Sean Payton. So the big thing is that Sean Payton he refused to let like everyone play in the game because he's so focused on winning. It's at the expense of the the personal development of these children. And so ultimately, he realizes that. Uh, and and his son even urges him to get this character. I forget the character's name, but to get this character into the game. Uh, to kick a field goal or something of that nature. And Sean Payton ultimately comes to his senses. He says it's the last game of the season. Everyone plays. He puts the kicker out on the field. And he completely... And, and you know, the big, the big thing that they talk about before the game is after they've lost to the Porcupines earlier in the season, uh, Sean Payton promises that not only will they beat the Porcupines, but that they will shut the scoreboard down on the Porcupines. Uh, but in the position to take the lead in the game, or maybe to tie the game, I don't remember. But at any rate... Uh, it was it, to tie the game. A, the field goal was to tie the game. In a crucial moment, they send the kicker on, he whiffs the kick, and the kick smashes the scoreboard, causes and apparently, a huge... Which was laced with explosives by some sort <laughs> yes, of super a huge, <laughs> a huge explosive, explosive fireworks display as the song We Are Young by Fun Blasts. Uh, but like an orchestral version. Yeah, which is the song that previously uh, the this the kid tried to serenade his crush with, but it precisely. wasn't her house. And then he set his mom's car on he set her mom's car on fire with a lantern, <laughs> and the mom said, "I'm gonna get fired," and that was the end of that because <laughs> she couldn't it's make it into work movie. the next day. Anyway, uh, so yes, please continue with your line of questioning. Yes, um, there's a scene earlier where Sean Payton has not yet become a coach, but he's just being a dad watching in the stands and he notices that the quarterback on the other team doesn't check his blind side and he, so he goes down and he tries to like secretly tell coach troy which play to call Great scene. Great scene. but then he calls for a blitz from the left which would be the right side of the, of the offensive line and hits the quarterback in his in the front which is not the blind side so that was weird uh he's like oh this quarterback doesn't check his blind side and then 
tackles him on his seeing side. Uh, so that bothered me. Uh, one okay. thing I did laugh at was the the vice president thing when the coaches were talking about like, oh, if I'm the I'm the vice president of this team, so if Coach Troy gets shot, I become president. And then the kid's like, what if both of you get shot? And then he's like, oh, then they'd probably cancel the game. Thought that was funny. That's, a, that's very funny. There's lots um, of good jokes in this film. There's one thing where in order to teach the kids he the plays, he, he diagrams them at a Mexican restaurant. And so, then so later on the sidelines, when the kids don't understand the plays, he, he describes them in the Mexican restaurant terms, which is fine. That's cute. Uh, but yep, he calls Rigo, for two, two limes, one hot sauce in a play. <laughs> this is the play that uh-huh. leads to their first win. But the hot sauce was the quarterback. But he feels the need to specify one hot sauce. Does he have some plays that have two quarterbacks? on the field at the same time these kids can't even like grasp the simple one quarterback plays and he's trying to he's teaching them some plays with two hot sauces two quarterbacks well, that was weird well famously griffin uh the porcupine coach right before sean payton calls timeout in order to insert the kicker into the game the the porcupine's coach uh, successfully notes that it is a wildcat formation true so maybe, maybe there are some uh, zero hot sauce plays yeah, or maybe it was a, a, a trick play, a, a direct snap to a wide receiver for a pass, perhaps. Perhaps Marcos was going to get Yeah, the, you got to uh, get the ball into Marcos's hands in that situation. I mean, he really is their best player. He's I mean, his incredible. His speed is yeah. just remarkable. Okay, I already <laughs> talked about the uh, networks covering the Porcupines game and judging Peyton on it. I thought maybe that That's was a commentary on the state of sports journalism in today's mm, hot take era. Powerful. The vomit touchdown scene, we've talked about them. And so he comes up with this new, well, Bill Cower comes up with this plan. He's like, teach your wide receivers to tell them to play linebacker and you'll be able to shut down this offense. And then so he waits until they are on the sidelines before their first defensive play of the game to tell anyone this new plan. He doesn't tell them on the bus. He's not like, hey, linebacker. Like he tells them in the moment. He's like, hey, go out there, learn an entire new position right now. Go. That's bad planning. Well, I think that I think that that gets to Sean Payton's desire in this film to sort of to, to present himself as the hero because it, it really is all about presentation, right? Because uh, you know you start off with him wanting to rekindle his relationship with the son, but then it becomes uh, you know PR management for him because he has gone through the suspension and he is dealing with uh, with these personal issues. And so he once again wants to be the hero. He wants to suddenly look like a genius. You know, as you said, Coach Troy says to him, when did you come up with this? He seems shocked and taken aback, but it's because Sean Payton just wants to be a showman and wants to uh, get all the glory for himself that he uh, he ignores good sense in order to uh, manufacture some of these moments. And it, of course, comes back to bite it. All right, fair. Still bad. <laughs> uh, we noted not only do we have Jackie Sandler playing Sean Payton's ex-wife, Kevin James's mm-hmm. brother playing Mitch, we also have Jared Sandler as the hotel oh. clerk, sounding weirdly like his father, like on a Colin Tom Hanks level of like, it sounds like he's doing a bad Adam Sandler impression. Hey guys, Griffin here in the editing room. Just a quick note, uh, Jared Sandler is the nephew of Adam Sandler, not the son of Adam Sandler. Wanted to get that correction in. Now back to the episode. Then we also have... What, and what did, you, what did you think of this character? I'm curious. It wasn't bad. Um, uh, he is, yes, the, the, inept, uh, the inept hotel clerk. Sort of, he sort of gave me a T.J. Miller vibe. He uh, did have a T.J. Miller vibe. Uh, we also had it, Sonny Sandler making an appearance. So Sandler and James families well represented. Yep, classic. Uh, this is all just classic uh, Happy Madison stuff, you know? You got Sandlers, you got Schneider, you got a uh, Alan Covert, of course. You know, the, Dan Patrick, all the yeah. greats are here. All right, I know we're running a bit long, so I'll just go through rapid 
qualifier here. Uh, the Warriors' score is only going up by six in the finals. It goes 6-12-18 every time they score a touchdown. I know he benched the kicker, but we don't see this suddenly great offense going 0 for 3 on two-point conversions. Is he just, like, forfeiting the conversions, or have they been stuffed every time? I want to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the championship game is taking place on a beautiful sunny day. They go in for a 15-minute <laughs> halftime. They come out. It's nighttime. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. You're but like, you're apparently like they were in the halftime room for three hours. Uh, uh, you just, you're just obsessed with continuity and plot. You have no sense of <laughs> mise-en-scene. You have no sense of uh And of I know they had to set up toy. the fireworks show and all that. but uh, <laughs> Yes, they really did. We find out that the girl that the kicker has a crush on, who's been giving uh, the kicker performance anxiety, is the stepdaughter of the head coach of the Porcupines. So why has she been at oh, every Warriors that. game this season? He. He says, like, why is my stepdaughter holding a sign for that kid? Um, and then, but she's been at every Warriors game all year, I guess, because she had a crush on this kid. But why do they yeah. know each other if they're from different towns? Like, I assume she lives with her stepfather in a different town. Uh, so that's weird. Maybe she um, the dad. I mean, but she's with her mom <laughs> when her mom when her mom's car gets set on fire and her mom <laughs> loses her livelihood and is unable to support her family. Um, yep. Well, you ever at one point, the play-by-play guy, yeah, all of these, like, Pop Warner games have a play-by-play yeah, guy, by the way. They have live commentary. Yeah, he says, this is such a great ending, reading a line <laughs> the writers wrote about the ending that they also wrote. Um, thought that was a little, uh, please think this is a great ending. Um, as Sean Payton walks off the field with his son, they play Hurt Me Tomorrow by Kanon in the soundtrack, great which song. is a great song. Agreed. But it's a song about a couple postponing their inevitable breakup for one more nice night, which seemed like a weird message for this moment to me. And then, uh, Mets. <laughs> big shout out to a podcast that we both love, uh, the Rewatchables with Bill <laughs> Simmons. Sure. And uh, finally, Sean Payton shows up for a cameo at the end of this movie. Oh, before that, we get uh, Chloe Feynman's character, who is an intern intern for a professional sports for a professional football team. Sean Payton says. Uh, to for her to get scouting on all of the RBs in the draft, she says, "What is RBs? Russell Brouts? I assume <laughs> she was talking about Brussels sprouts. Truly, one of the most bizarre jokes I've ever heard of. Don't know how anyone could have ever written that someone working for a football team thought RBs stood for Russell Brouts, which are not well, a thing. She is bad at her job. That's the whole thing. And Sean, yeah, but is she also bad at knowing what Brussels sprouts are? <laughs> And then finally, the real Sean Payton shows up for a janitor, for a cameo as a janitor in the last scene, wearing truly one of the worst wigs in cinema history. That's my final note. That was awful, awful hair. That's a feature. That's a feature, (laughs) not a bug. I think, Griffin, just fundamentally... One and a half stars. You came in with a bias. This is a classic three-star general. but, But you know what, Griffin? It's not just about us. I think that we would love to hear from everyone about this film. Oh, please. In order to celebrate my birthday week, I encourage and implore everyone to hop onto Netflix. You know, I assume most people, you have Netflix, you know someone who has a login that you can crib from. Uh, You know, find the film, have a look, let us know what you think. Uh, You can follow us at HFLC Podcast and tweet at us uh, with your thoughts on the film. We truly would love to hear from you. Uh, But Griffin, that's going to do it. For this yeah. week's episode, birthday week is is over already. It's so I sad. did I did think the kid playing Sean Payton's son was good. Shout out to that yep, kid. Um, great. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, Chris, I hope you had us. a happy birthday week. Uh, it was a great episode, I thought. 
It's a lot of fun. I thought so as well. I mean, at the very least, if no one likes these, then at least we enjoyed doing them, right? Exactly. Um, I think people like our show. I, I think we're good, in my humble opinion. Yeah. But if you do like our show, if you don't like our show, give us five stars on <laughs> Apple or Spotify. Subscribe to us. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Uh, you know, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at HFLC Podcast. As Griffin mentioned earlier, next week we will be previewing the Super Bowl, among other fun things. So uh, be on the lookout for that. You can follow Griffin at Griffin Porter ninety seven on Twitter. You can follow me at C House and Jan. That's Chow Sun Jan. Uh, and anything else, Griffin? Uh, no, I think that's just about all on this end. Hope everyone has a very happy Lunar New Year if you're listening. And that's yes, a, absolutely. I believe that's shout today. Out, shout out to my Chinese homies out there. Uh, but until next time, keep your floors high. No, wait. Yes. No, yeah, that keep, that was right. I did it every time. Keep your floors high and your ceilings low. We'll see you next time.